Live from the WLIWFM studio in Southampton, New York, on Friday, November 17th, 2023, I'm Gianna Volpe. Some convicted criminals in New York State will now have their records sealed when applying for jobs and filling out housing applications after Governor Kathy Hochul signed the new Clean Slate Act in a ceremony yesterday. Von Golden and Sarah Goodman reporting in the New York Post the governor hailed the progressive legislation as a way to get more ex-cons in the workforce, despite opposition from some police groups and law and order conservatives. Quote, my number one job as the New York state governor is to keep people safe, Hochul said. And I believe that the best anti-crime tool we have is a job uh, when people have steady work. The legislation seals eligible misdemeanor records after three years and certain felony Records after eight years after their sentence is complete, as long as the offender doesn't commit another crime during that time. Charges eligible to be sealed include misdemeanors such as disorderly conduct, larceny and vandalism, as well as nonviolent felonies like money laundering, insurance fraud, and compelling prostitution. Crimes designated as Class A felonies like murder, predatory sexual assault, terrorism, arson, and kidnapping would not be eligible to be sealed. That excludes Class A felonies for drug possession. Law enforcement and courts will continue to have full access to records, as would any employer that can currently conduct fingerprinting as part of a job application like schools and daycares. The legislation takes effect one year from the bill signing, at which point the Office of Court Administration will begin the clock for automatically sealing the eligible offenses as soon as someone finishes their sentence. The courts will have until 2027 to go back and seal old records that apply. In other news, Long Island was mostly a bright spot for Republicans on Election Day this month, but GOP enthusiasm was tempered by Democratic victories upstate and nationally. Yancey Roy reporting on Newsday.com that Republicans crowed about winning the Suffolk County Executive Contest for the first time in 20 years, holding on to the North Homestead uh, supervisor seat and maintaining the Suffolk and Nassau County legislatures, among other Long Island victories. Upstate Republicans also flipped mayoral seats in Troy, Saratoga Springs, and Utica. They rolled to an easy re-election in the Onondaga County, Syracuse, executive race. But that was offset by some surprising or easier-than-expected Democratic wins in Monroe County, Rochester. A Democrat won re-election as county executive for the first time, and the party flipped control of the county ledge for the first time in more than three decades there. Overall, in New York State, claims of a red uh, wave for Republicans or a blue wave for Democrats doesn't really hold up, analysts say. Uh, Lisa Parshall, a political scientist at Damon University in Buffalo, tells Newsday it's possible the issues of crime and immigration played better for Republicans on Long Island than elsewhere, along with the governor's housing and zoning proposals, which had stirred opposition in Nassau and Suffolk counties. The leaders of the Democratic and Republican parties in New York also cited concerns about crime as a Long Island factor. Even though crime rates for homicide and some other crimes have begun to decline to pre-pandemic levels, concerns about crime play on Long Island. Quote, crime in New York City is the reason people moved out of the suburbs said Ed Cox, the chair of the state GOP. Uh, their signature victory on November 7th was Edward Romaine beating Dave Cologne for Suffolk County Executive. Romaine's victory ended a 20-year Democratic hold on the office. Here in Southampton, various town officials gathered at Town Hall this week to deliver what's now an annual message about safe driving during the holiday season with an emphasis on discouraging driving under the influence of alcohol and drugs and distracted driving. Have a good time, but be responsible. That from town supervisor Jay Schneiderman, who added, do not get behind the wheel if you've been drinking. Tom Gola reporting on 27East.com that Schneiderman was joined by fellow town board members John Bouvier, Rick Martell, and Cindy McNamara, along with Southampton Town Police Chief James Kiernan, who emphasized education and prevention, uh, Chief Kiernan saying we don't want to fill our jails with 
DWIs. We really don't. But we will fill our jails. We will arrest people who don't heed this message. As the event wrapped up, Chief Kiernan said the town needed to do a better job at getting the don't drink and drive message out to non-speaking, uh, non-English speaking residents and vowed to do so through radio appearances on Spanish language stations and other outreach. And finally, the town of Southampton's Department of Public Safety and Emergency Management. Oh, that I know that. That sounds like uh, Ryan Murphy is going to be quoted in this story. They're cautioning residents in and around Flanders to expect delays and temporary road closures today and tomorrow in anticipation of funeral services for Fire Marshal and Community Preservation Fund Ranger Brian Williams, who died earlier this month unexpectedly at the age of 52. Williams was a lifelong resident of the town of Southampton and the Flanders community, where he was a former fire chief. Tom Gola reporting on 27East.com that the Flanders Fire Department is holding services for Williams this evening between 5 and 9 p.m., according to Ryan Murphy, I told you, who is the Code Compliance and Emergency Management Administrator for the town. Quote, it's expected that there may be significant traffic in the area between Firehouse Lane and the Big Duck due to members of the community and the fire service coming to pay respects. A Saturday afternoon funeral procession uh, expected to cause rolling delays and closures as it makes its way through the area and terminates in Riverhead, uh, Murphy added. A start time has not been finalized, but Murphy said the procession might reasonably be expected to start around noon and involve some temporary delays and road closures. Staying in Southampton for the weather in honor of Mara Ahmad, maker of Return to Sender, Women of Color in Colonial Postcards and the Politics of Representation, screening this Sunday at 2 o'clock at the Southampton Arts Center right here in the village. Uh, Looking like a partly sunny Friday here in Southampton with a high near 61 degrees south wind, 7 to 14 miles per hour tonight, a 40% chance of rain mainly after 1 a.m., Cloudy otherwise with a low around 47 degrees south wind, 6 to 9 miles per hour. Right now it's 51 degrees. And I've got the Return to Sender playlist all prepared for you here on the Heart Morning and Midnight Show, uh, featuring music from all decades and genres and interviews with folks from all walks of life. All because of you, the listener supporter of WLIWFM. Uh, Please don't forget us on giving Tuesday coming up in just a few days here. I'm Jenna Volpe. This is Alexander Ryback, uh, followed by Natalie Hemby, a nice, neat... Oh, no. It's the same year. They both wrote uh, songs called Return in the year 2016. Natalie Hemby uh, from her Puxico record, uh, the single from Alexander Ryback. Uh, OK Go and the Elevators on deck after that. I'm Jenna Volpe. And you, whoever you are out there, you're awesome. And you're listening to Long Island's only local NPR radio station, WLIWFM. Stay tuned for Mara Ahmad. It's almost night. I should be sleeping, but the moon's so bright. As if it's praying with me round and round I walk in circles aimlessly Where could you be? The purple skies Were so inviting when we used to fly But the excitement slowly fades away Feels like there's nothing I want to do Not without you And I Will cry you a thousand tears The day you will return Tonight I swear I'll stay right here Until you will return
Pretty. All right, fun fact. Um, I put together this playlist for you guys this morning, and it turned out to be like a minute and nine, uh, an hour and nine minutes. I was like, oh, I'm going to need more. And uh, I added uh, that among, the, you know, a few other tracks. And, man, I think it's it might end up being my favorite this morning. Um, we'll see. All right, Natalie Hemby, Return from the Pucks Go Record. Stay tuned for Mara Ahmad right here on the Heart Morning and Midnight Show, recorded live from the heart of the East End, the WLIWFM studio in Southampton, New York, commercial free, all because of listeners just like you. Yeah. 
Natalie Hemby with Return from the Puxico Record on the Return to Sender edition of The Heart, all uh, in honor of Mara Ahmad's Return to Sender, Women of Color in Colonial Postcards and the Politics of Representation, screening this Sunday, 2 o'clock at Southampton Arts Center. Mara is on with us this morning. Thank you so much for being on with us. Hi, Gianna. Thank Hi. you for having me. I'm I'm very excited to be here with you. Right back at you. All right. So this is the, the Friday morning tea underwritten by Village Overhead Doors. When I saw your film coming to the Arts Center, I had to cover it. I can't thank you enough for making the documentary. But before we get into Return to Sender, can you please start by taking us back to your roots in film? Um, so I am um, an interdisciplinary artist and filmmaker, and um, I've lived and been, I've been educated in Belgium, right. Pakistan, and the U.S. So all of these displacements and all of these multiplicities are very much a part of me right. as well as my work. So uh, how did we get so lucky to have you on Long Island with us? How long will you be here? <laughs> Uh, well, I'm based on Long Island now. Um, I lived in Rochester for a very long time, and I really consider Rochester, New York, to be kind of my hometown. But uh, we've been in Rochester in, in uh, on Long Island now, I think, for three years. And um, yes, yeah, so, and I'm just getting to connect with really interesting people. And actually, the making of this film and the screening um, in different places, and then also the collaborations that um, it allowed me to to make um, uh, are really very valuable for me. Right. So, so Return to Sender premiered at Cinema Arts Center on October 1st. There was a companion yeah. art exhibit that showcased from mid-September through October 15th at the Huntington Historical Society's History and Decorative Arts Museum. Uh, did you have some of your, your other types of, of work uh, showcased at that art exhibit? Yes, so um, the art exhibit was really a way to kind of delve, uh, delve a little bit deeper in some of the themes that we discuss in the film. Um, and so we created um, an exhibition catalog, which really kind of gave all of the history behind these uh, colonial postcards and talked a little bit more about the colonial gaze, the male gaze, and right. many of the things that we kind of discuss in the film. Yeah, and we're going to actually talk touch on that in just a second. But but first, I'm curious how the response uh, to both the premiere uh, and the art exhibit uh, have been thus far, and what what have been some of the most poignant reactions or, or revelations for you? Well, the, the reaction has really been wonderful. First of all, the support that I've received from different organizations and different people here on Long Island, uh, where I'm still relatively new, has really been incredible and amazing. Um, and then after the premiere at uh, Cinema Arts Center, which is also a wonderful, wonderful place to, to premiere your film, to screen your work. Yes. Um, the reaction was amazing. So the film is actually a short film. Um, it's about 20 minutes long. But what was amazing, which what was incredible, was that the discussion, the post-screening discussion that happened after the screening lasted for almost one and a half to two hours. Fantastic. Uh, so one and a half hours to two hours. So it, that was really, really amazing. There were a lot of young people in the audience who had so much to say about some of the things that they saw in the film. So even more than than the highlighting of the otherness of the models in these postcards, uh, them being postcards, it's it's the commodification as well of these models. Something said in the film is how the male gaze was used to justify colonialism. Can you talk a little bit more about this idea? Yes. Um, so I know that the title of the film is kind of a mouthful. So let me just start with that. So the title of the film is Return to Sender. And then the ta the tagline that goes with that title is Women of Color in Colonial Postcards and the Politics of Representation. And this is a short um, experimental film. Uh, I like to say that it kind of pushes the documentary medium in unexpected ways. The film opens with these three 
contemporary South Asian American women who are trying to recreate British colonial postcards from the early 20th century. So there are three postcards that we use in the film. They are from the early 1900s when India was a British colony, and they represent different parts of British India by showcasing local women from three different cities, from Bombay, Dhaka, and Lucknow. So in the film, the three contemporary women, whose names are Fatima, Urvashi, and Sumeya, are dressed in these lavish traditional clothes and jewelry, just like the women in the postcards. And they try to emulate their body language and their facial expressions, which many times were vacant, deadpan. They were almost disconnected, like they didn't right. want to be there. Right. And then all of this footage, by the way, is shot beautifully in a darkened studio, mostly by Dylan Toombs, who is a stunning photographer and filmmaker. But going back to the narrative of the film, after copying the awkward poses of the postcard women, later in the film, Fatima, Sumaya, and Urvashi subvert everything. They change everything. They challenge the colonial male gaze and they acquire agency by choosing an action of their own. So I, I don't want to tell people too much because I want them to come and see the film. But it's in a way, it's a symbolic returning of the colonial gaze. Right. Something which we, we achieve symbolically by empowering the women in the postcards. Uh, so... Um, Sorry, it, yes. it was it was fascinating. I mean, you really get a lot, even just out of the trailer, um, at at what is what is achieved by uh, the modicum of the of the film. You know, connecting yes. women to to those of the past and uh, sort of hearing firsthand how it feels, uh, the emulation itself, and and what. Yes. Uh, how, you know, choosing an action, something as very simple as that, uh, helps to empower uh, the people and and help to represent the, the fullness of their personality and who they are. Yes, absolutely. And that's why, um, along with this very beautiful, lush imagery, the film is also layered with these discussions between the three women. They meet afterwards, you know, after the shoot that we did in a studio, um, and they have this very long conversation about the project, and they talk about Eurocentric beauty standards and the representation of South Asian women in media and culture, and they talk about um, stereotypes and othering and what is identity and what gives them a sense of belonging. And so my hope is that the film can create community by facilitating these kinds of conversations about the erasure of people of color, of women, of people from the global south, of anyone who is marginalized or misrepresented in mainstream media. And, uh, and, and that's why the panelists, you know, who uh, have a discussion after the film are so very important to me. Absolutely. It's a perfect panel planned for this Sunday. Brenda Simmons of the Southampton African American Museum, Minerva Perez of Ola of Eastern Long Island, and Jeremy Dennis of Ma's House, BIPOC Art Studio. Uh, have you met any of the panelists yet? I have met Jeremy. He okay. was one of the first people I met actually after I moved to Setauket. So I've met him, but I have not met Minerva and Brenda, and I'm so excited to meet them and learn more about their work because they are doing fascinating work in the community as well. Yeah, and it's it's exactly the work of all four of you and anyone out there who is highlighting marginalized community uh, people uh, and having these conversations that are helping to change a narrative. Um, can you talk a little bit more about, uh, you spoke of hope before, what are some things that are changing for the better and what are some things that uh, that are not or have not yet? Um, that's a really good question. Um, so I, I feel like if you look at all of my work that I do and I work in many different media, um, and I also do, I, I also participate in a lot of different community projects as well, because I really see myself as 
an activist filmmaker. You know, mm -hmm. activism is always the thing that drives everything that I do. Um, so if you look at my work as a whole, you, you'll see that decolonizing knowledge is kind of a thread that runs throughout my work and through, through all of these different media and narratives and community projects. And what I mean by decolonizing knowledge is this acknowledgement that knowledge itself is very Eurocentric. It's something that is taught in the westernized university, which means that it's not just the Western university, but it's pretty much all universities across the world that use the same canon of thought to right. teach their students. Right. And this canon of thought is very Eurocentric. It's coming from a particular point of view for, uh, with a particular, many times, colonial agenda. Right. And so through my work, I want to have these conversations where we can critically look at this canon of thought and then debunk and kind of pry it open and talk about some of the contradictions and biases that, it, that are embedded in, in this knowledge that you know, we, we all learn in, in, at university and in school. Um, and by doing that, what I hope is that some of the, because you see, my understanding is that there is no one truth. There are right. always many, many different truths. So right. what we think of as knowledge, for example, are just partial truths. Right. And so for me, it's important to incorporate as many sources of knowledge as we can, and in particular to share the truths of people who are oppressed, of people who are invisibilized or marginalized, because those are the truths that are kind of missing from the story. And so those are the truths that I want to highlight. And, and to not do so is to continue uh, the narrative of oppression, you know, making exactly. history, knowledge, uh, truth itself more accessible. And as you mentioned, uh, f less biased uh, from, from a particular perspective, uh, nothing wrong with that at all. In fact, there's everything, <laughs> everything right with it. All right. So if you want yes. to learn more, neelamfilms.com and Mara Ahmed, uh, Ahmed, excuse me, studio.com. It's M-A-R-A-A-H-M-E-D studio.com or N-E-E-L-U-M films.com. Or just go to the film uh, screening on Sunday of Return to Sender, Women of Color in Colonial Postcards and the Politics of Representation, right here in Southampton Village at Southampton Arts Center, our neighbor and friend on Job's Lane. It's going to be at 2 p.m. And of course, there's going to be a fantastic panel afterward, Mara? After yes. the film? So we're, we're film? Yes, we screen the film and then we'll have a post-screening uh, discussion with uh, Jeremy, Brenda and Minerva and myself. Cannot wait. And thank you so much for being with us this morning for the Friday Morning Tea, underwritten by Village Overhead Doors. I'm Gianna Volpe. That was Mara Ahmed. This is OK Go. And you, whoever you are out there. You're awesome, and you're listening to Long Island's only local NPR radio station, WLIWFM, news you can trust, music you love.
Elevators return from the castle's record of 2021 after OK Go return in the 2002 record, uh, self-titled record of that band, who I love. I remember waiting outside of Maxwell's to get into a show to see them. Um, Let's see. I'm going to actually hop past Joel Culpepper's return from the Sergeant Culpepper record of 2020 and the Cure return from Wild Mood Swings of 1996. This is Rat Tat. I will return from the Magnifique record of 2015. Jethro Tull, uh, Cheap Day return on deck after that. Then Jimi Hendrix experience Voodoo Child's slight return for leading you into the NPR news break with the movements. Remember the return from Ways of the World. I'm Gianna Volpe, and you, whoever you are out there, you are awesome, and you're listening to Long Island's only local NPR radio station, WLIWFM, streaming online to wherever you are at WLIW.org slash radio.
from Jethro to Jimmy, you get a little bit of it all here on The Heart. Charlie Canavan rocking out to Jimi Hendrix Experience, Voodoo Child's Slight Return from the Electric Ladyland record of 68. Leading you into NPR Newsbreak with Remember the Return from the Movement's 2019 record, Ways of the World, right here on The Heart Morning and Midnight Show. Recorded live from the heart of the East End, the WLIWFM studio in Southampton, New York. I'm Gianna Volpe, and you, whoever you are out there, you are awesome. And you're listening to Long Island's only local NPR radio station.